According to 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15, that believers are to make a defense for the hope that you have. Also Philippians chapter 1 verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. We are commanded to defend the word of God, the context of the word of God, and the purity of the word of God. This is the defender of the word of God. Good evening, good evening. I am so excited about you being with us tonight. My name is James Fox. I am the host of this show. This show is called The Defender, and we are back on again. Today is Wednesday, July the 19th, 2017. And we have an exciting episode for you tonight. I think it's going to be very, very, very powerful. Uh, like I said before, you always need to get some pens, paper, get you a Bible, and get ready to go on a journey with us tonight. I really believe it's going to be something that's going to enlighten you, empower you, and cause you to walk closer with God and get in the complete understanding of what it is in your position in Christ. Now, I want to thank you first and foremost for traveling with us as we've been on the broadcast for quite a bit of time now, and we're really having some, some major effects that we're seeing taking place in the lives of many individuals. We want to thank all of you that join us every Wednesday night because, like I said before, this broadcast is not primarily intended for those that are church-affiliated, although I know a lot of people that go to church uh, and having a relationship with those that are in church, tune into the broadcast, and that's a great thing. We want that. We accept that. But primarily, we want to be a place where people who are not going to any church anywhere are able to come in on a Wednesday night because, as you know, Wednesday night is primarily the night that many people are in the houses of God. They're learning. They're being taught, fellowshipping with the believers, and that's a beautiful thing. But we wanted to provide something where people could come and they could still hear the word even if they are at a place where they are just dismayed by the church or turned off by church, have uh, went through certain things regarding the church. We know so many of those things have happened, and it is a tragedy. And we pray that each one who has had some type of affiliation with the church or with uh, the, the, the ways of Christ, are able to be restored because I truly believe in God's heart of hearts. He wants all of us to know who he is in an intimate and a special way. So tonight we are going to open up something uh, very, uh, I would say, life-changing. It really changed my life when I began to understand this construct of the way God has set up things and how we're supposed to flow in them. So before we begin, I want to thank the Resilient Christian Radio Network for allowing us the opportunity to come on the air every Wednesday and to be able to impart uh, the seeds that God has planted. And I want to thank them entirely for allowing that to happen. And I want to thank you, family and friends, who tune in every Wednesday, who are listening, uh, those that are in other countries who are listening on Wednesday night. You could be doing anything else, but you chose to come in and sit with us and open up the Word of God and learn some very valuable key insights and principles. So we are thankful for that. I can't say that enough. Having support is a great thing when you are launching and going forward in the things of God. 
So without further ado, I want to get right to what we're going to discuss tonight. Uh, as you know, we do interviews on this show, and right now, God has been taking us back to the desk for a few more sessions so we can get grounded and get some concrete understanding about the principles in the Word of God and where we're going. So let's open up with the word of prayer. Can we do that together? Amen. Let's do that. Father, we thank you for tonight. Thank you for the listeners. Thank you for all those that are joining in, those that are hearing the broadcast in different countries and even in our own native land of the U.S. of A. We thank you, Father, for every person that is tuned in, and we ask a special blessing on every person that is tuned in, Father, that they may be able to hear the wise counsel of God from your word and be able to be changed in their inward being and to go for the deep things of God that you have laid out for us. We just want to thank you. We ask you to forgive us of our sins, our trespasses, our misgivings. Wash us clean and anew today. Give us a new start tonight, Father, even as we repent now of our wrongdoings and come to you humbly, God, thanking you for another Another day, another evening to come forward and to learn your word. So we thank you and we praise you and we give you all the glory and honor. It's in your name, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. So tonight, like I say, we always want to get our tools. And you know what I mean when I say our tools, we need to have a Bible in hand. You definitely going to need a Bible in hand because, you know, we don't come on the broadcast without dealing with the scriptures because the scriptures is the life force of where we get our vitality from. So you need a Bible, you need a pen and a pencil in hand. It's great for you to take some notes because these type of broadcasts you will have to go back and re-listen to because there may be some key areas that you may miss. You may get up and walk away from the phone or the computer or you may get called off, get distracted somehow. So you need to have some notations on the broadcast so that you can go back and get study for yourself so God can equip you. Now tonight, I'm telling you, this concept and this way of thinking and seeing the scriptures really revolutionized my life eight, nine years ago. Uh, I had been studying for some time, but uh, God allowed me to come into the ministry uh, of my spiritual father and be able to uh, understand this construct of the recovery and what God has been doing throughout the centuries and recovering people back to his original blueprint, plan, and purpose. And so as I begin to grow in grace and understand this, it really just truly totally revolutionized my way of seeing the church and revolutionized my way of seeing believers and gave me a broader view, uh, a broader spectrum of what God is wanting when he's putting his word out for his people. So I say that with the title in mind that we're going to call this broadcast The Priest in the Pew. I'm going to say that again. We're going to call this broadcast The Priest in the Pew. Now, if you'll give me a moment to set up the backdrop for this. What I mean by that when I say The Priest in the Pew, and we're going to define it, and we're going to get into the Word of God that really describes what we're talking about. Let me set the scenario for you. Have you ever turned on the television on a Sunday or any other day during the week and Pretty much the setting is all the same, and it's wonderful that we have pastors and leaders 
men and women of God, churches and ministries that are going forward and that are introducing the people to the things of God and bringing them on in a way to where they can develop because that's the job of a pastor is to shepherd and to feed the flock. They're to feed the flock. And so we have thousands upon thousands, if not millions, of different leaders who are doing a phenomenal job, excellent job in shepherding people and bringing them to the reality of who God is in their spirit. But when you look on a television, you got to think about it now. There is generally one individual that is standing up on a platform, pulpit, stage, elevated uh, surface or what have you, and they are speaking the Word of God. They are opening up the Bible, and they are, are preaching. We see this every Sunday when we go to church, uh, primarily uh, in the evangelical churches, and that's a wonderful thing. That's a great thing. We need that as well. But I want you to, to kind of think a little different here. Think about all of the many members that are in the audience. Now, some churches are in the thousands of people that are in the audience. Some of them are in the hundreds that are in the audience. So let's look at it this way. Many of the people that are sitting in those pews or chairs, many of those individuals they have also been born again. They have also been born anew. They've also accepted the Lord as their Savior and their King. And they also have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit living inside of them. So they go to church or they go to these settings every Sunday, every Wednesday, and they sit and they listen. And that's good to sit and listen. But the key is what are they being able to express at that given time? And what I mean by that is when you have a group of people together that have accepted the one Lord and that's up under the one faith and the one baptism and the Lord Jesus Christ is reigning in their spirit as the Holy Spirit, they also have something to offer. Now, if you look in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, it talks about when you come together, everyone has a psalm, everyone has a hymn, somebody has a word, somebody has something to offer. But many times, there's not the opportunity for those ones to offer that. And so this is why we have different groups that meet from house to house, taking on the Acts 2 model of they go from house to house, opening up the Word of God and sharing the Word of God. So this type of construct needs to happen a lot more often. When we come into the church building, we're, we're supposed to get filled and infused with the teaching, with the doctrine. We're supposed to power up and huddle up so that we can go out into the world and make a significant impact. But many times you have people that are in the audience, they just sit there and they never open their mouth. And God is a speaking God, and he wants expression. So I say that in setting up this backdrop because we're talking about priests that are in the pew. And there's two class distinctions when you talk about that. So I'm going to open this up here. So like I say, you need to get ready because this is going to be a little different, maybe for some, for what you've been exposed to. But we're going to open up the Word of God and we're going to get right to it so that we can get a complete construct and understanding of what do we mean when we say there is a priest that's in the pew. 
or you can look in the pew and find a priest or in every pew there is a priest. And so we're going to define that. But first, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. I'm turning in my Bible, and I may, may be a little fast tonight because we've got a lot to cover. So 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. Let's read that together. And I think we ended our last broadcast with this scripture in one form or another. But 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. So here we're talking about the mediator. You know we talked about before that people don't understand that because of Christ's incarnation, his death, burial, and resurrection, that gave us access to get to God. Even when we have those that they boast about, they don't need anybody to get in between God and them, and they can go right to God. Okay, so I understand that. They can have that argument, but we know as believers that because Christ did die, he opened up, he tore away the veil so that we can get to God. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 7, verse 24 and 25. I'm turning in my pages. Are you turning in yours? Amen. So Hebrews 7, 24 and 25, it says, but he, and we're talking about the man Christ Jesus, but he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So that's basically telling us, you and me, family and friends, that Christ Jesus, the man, he's the one that makes intercession for us. It tells us that Christ Jesus is the one that has the unchangeable priesthood. And because of this, he's able to save us to the uttermost for those that come to God through him because of his unchangeable priesthood. Now, we're going to define some things. So I need you to really have your, your spirit and your heart open to where you can receive counsel from the word of God. As we said before, God always interprets himself in his own word. Now, we're going to look at the definition of a priest. We're going to take this from an excerpt from the BibleHistory.org that talks about the priest. And I'm just going to read this, okay? It says, a priest is one who makes the sacrifices, performs the rituals, and acts as mediator between man and God. This means that he is responsible for offering the divinely appointed sacrifices to God for executing the different procedures and ceremonies relating to the worship of God and for being a representative between God and man. That right there clearly identifies our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because he is the mediator between God and man. He allowed us to be able to get to God. So he is the high priest. And it speaks about that all through the scripture. So we're going we're gonna to create a template here so that we can really get an understanding of what the word of God says all through the Bible. Now, let's look at the book of Leviticus chapter 8. This particular book is talking about the consecration of priests. And so we're going to read that. It's a little lengthy, but I'm going to shorten it up. And we're going to break it down, okay, because we need to understand what God is saying and what, what, he, what he's doing in his word. We've got to get clear 
so that we have a firm foundation so that when the storms of life come, we know how to stand. When different winds of doctrine come, we know how to stand because we know the Bible interprets itself. So let's look at Leviticus chapter 8. And we're going to read this, and let's read it together. We're going to read several verses out of here so that we can get an understanding. We'll do some cross-referencing in here as well. We have a lot of verses to cover tonight, but we're going to try to make it short and simple and sweet so that we can get right into the meat of what is going on. So we're talking about the consecration of priests. Now in Leviticus chapter 8, we're starting. Okay, we're going to read. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments, and the anointing oil, and a bullock for the sin offering, and two rams and a basket of unleavened bread. All of these things have different significance. We don't have the time tonight to get into it, but it all has significance. It says, And gather thou all the congregation together unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. You know that word, right? Congregation. That's what they call anybody that assembles together in a group, particularly those that assemble together in a group with a religious service in mind or worship in mind. It says then, and Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the assembly was gathered together unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Moses said unto the congregation, this is the thing which the Lord commanded to be done. All right. So here we are. Still in here, it says, the next verse says, And Moses brought Aaron his sons and washed them with water. That's very key. The first thing that Moses did in getting these people set up, this particular group, Aaron and his sons, to become priests, is to wash them in water. Now, we know throughout the scriptures that water is always significant. Water is always significant, and it is conveying to us that in the New Testament that we're to be washed by the Spirit. So in order to be a priest in this New Testament phase, now we're, we're going back and forth from the old to the new, but because we have become priests in this New Testament age, we've got to be washed by the Spirit. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. I'm going to turn in my Bible there. You turn in yours there. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In verse 11, are you there yet? We're going to go back up a little bit. Let's say, let's start at verse 9, okay, and we'll, we'll go on to 11. Now, in this, he is talking about how you're going to get into the kingdom of God. And so in verse 9, he says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were, but you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So here it is telling us this is some of the things that we were. So we're not making a distinction to say that we're better than anybody because we belong to that group of people who did all of those things before we came into the kingdom. We did it all. Uh, idolaters, fornicators, deceivers, drunkards, abusers. We was all of that. 
All of that is in the DNA of humanity. We all were part of that. Whatever your vice was, was your vice. Whatever my vice was, was my vice. Notice I say vice. Vice is a meaning that has a grip on you. So these things had a grip on you and me. So we're no better than them. But what happened is we became washed. We were washed by what? By the Spirit. We were washed by the blood of Christ. We were washed by coming into fellowship with God. And so in doing that, it says we were washed, and it says that we are sanctified. So that means we got clean. We got clean how? Because we accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, and then we became sanctified. What does that mean? That means we were set apart for a service. So you're going to see here tonight that we're talking about being washed by the Spirit and then being sanctified or set apart for service, for service as a priest unto God. Okay, so let's get back to this verse here in Leviticus. It says in verse 7, And he put upon him the coat and girded him with the girdle, and clothed him with a robe, and put the ephod upon him, and he girded him with the curious girdle of the ephod, and bound it unto him therewith. And he put the breastplate upon him. Also he put upon the breastplate the urn and the thumb. And all of these things, ladies and gentlemen, these have so much power, so much significance. And they are all relating to things about Christ. We don't have the time tonight to really delve into the depth of it because it is a mass studies upon itself. But all of it has key significance. Just know that God is trying to get us to a place. So it says in 10, And Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was therein and sanctified them. So in verse 10 it says that he took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all of the things therein and he sanctified it. We just talked about sanctification meaning being set apart. So what does that mean for you and me? That means that when we come into the family of God and we become saved and born again, we become priests unto God, we're to be sanctified. What does that mean? To be a priest means you got to be sanctified or you got to be separated. And what that means in present-day terminology is that we let go of the things of the world. We let go of those things and we start engrafting ourselves into the things of Christ. So here this is setting up for us a, a precedent and it's setting for, uh, up for us a, a precept that we can follow. So, in 11, it says, He sprinkled thereof upon the altar seven times, and anointed the altar and all his vessels, both the lava and his foot, to sanctify them. Now, there's more meaning in there, too, about the seven. You know, the seven is talking about completion or perfection. It says, He poured upon, he poured of the anointing oil upon Aaron's head, and anointed him to sanctify him. Now, in this, the Old Testament always gives us, as we know, many theologians and Bible scholars know, that the Old Testament is speaking about types and shadows of what's to come. So it's a type and shadow of what Christ is doing in the Old Testament until he came in the flesh to fulfill it. Did you get that? So here it says the anointing oil is upon Aaron's head. So Christ is the high priest represented by Aaron in this particular scripture. Verse 13, it says that Moses brought Aaron's sons and put coats upon them and girded them with girdles and put bonnets upon them as the Lord commanded Moses. So in here, we're talking about being put on coats and there being garments put on them. Now, these things that they're talking about, the garments is basically the attributes of Christ. Did you get that? 
putting on. So it says put on the Lord Jesus Christ. It says that in the word of God. So when we put on his garments, we put on his divine attributes. There are gifts that God gives us when we become born again. Did you get that? All right. So that is how the priesthood began and got set up through Aaron, okay? That's how it began to get set up. Now, we're going to take a quote from the BibleHistory.org again, and we're looking on here about this definition of priest. It says, as we have seen, the Levites, these were the ones who were consecrated. They were chosen. It says they were chosen as those who would specially serve God. And it is from the Levites that the priests were chosen. As we have seen, the Levites were chosen as those who would specially serve God, and it was from the Levites that the priests were chosen. Now, they originated in one family, that of Aaron and his four sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, Ethamar, but due to the deaths of Nadab and Abihu, the priestly succession came through Eleazar and Ithamar. And that's where it started. And we know as you track through the Bible, you'll find out how it failed and how Christ came in and set it up. So they had particular duties. Now, there were duties that priests had. And primarily there was, there was a lot of them, but primarily uh, one of them was uh, to minister in the sanctuary. And at, time, at that time it was the tabernacle, uh, but when Israel became a settled nation, it would be the temple. Okay, secondly, this is what they did. Priests were responsible for teaching the people the law of God. And then thirdly, when, when God's will was, was sought for a nation and we looked for direction, it was the priests who prayed for guidance. So you can take that and, and get a concrete understanding of this. The duties of the priests in the Old Testament, they had their hands full all the time. Their hands were full of priestly things priestly services. Some of the things they did, they offered the burnt offering. They offered the meal offering. They offered the peace offering. They offered the trespass offering. So notice in, in all of that, the priests have their hands filled with something to give unto God. Did you get that? The priests had their hands filled with something, giving something unto God. Now, I'm just laying a backdrop for you guys so you can understand where we're going tonight. Because you must understand that God has called you to a deeper life than just sitting on a pew. Did you get that? God has called you to a deeper life than just sitting on a pew. This is why this broadcast is called The Priest in the Pew. So let's define what a pew is. Now, I'm reading from a dictionary. Here it says, it is a long bench with a back placed in rows in the main part of some churches to seat the congregation. Also, here's another definition. It says, it's an enclosure or compartment containing a number of seats used in some churches to seat a particular worshiper or group of worshipers. And also it says, the congregation of a church. So I said that and put emphasis on that. And the reason I did that is because pews were made to sit you down. Did you get that? Pews were made to sit you down. And we understand why they're in churches because you've got to have a place to sit. But the sitting down should not take place in your spirit. 
you only sit your body in the pew, but you are supposed to be active as a priest in priestly service unto God in your spirit. This means that you should be active in the things of God. So here we go again. We're going to define a little bit, and we're going to lay something out here, and this may be totally contrary to what you have been exposed to or what you have seen in your life. But we'll make the first statement as such. In God's economy, there is no laity or layman. I'm going to say that again. In God's economy, there is no laity or layman. So we got to describe that because we can't throw terminology out there without people understanding what we mean. So let's define what is laity. That's L-A-I-T-Y. So laity, I grabbed it from a dictionary. It says it's the people of a religion who are not priests or ministers. Did you get that? They are lay people. They're distinct from the clergy. They are ordinary people like you and me. They don't have professionalism. They're not expert in them. They're just ordinary folk. That's what they are. Laity. They are not priests or ministers. All right? So let's look again. Let's describe what is a layman. Layman. You've heard that. This is biblical terminology. A layman. L-A-Y-M-A-N. The definition of a layman. It says it is a person who is not a member of the clergy. So then that's another class. They're not a member of the clergy. Okay? That means that there is a separate distinction. They're not in the laity, but they are in that they are laymen, which is that two different class. So yes, they are kind of one and the same. They don't have a particular professional outlook. They don't have an expertise in knowing anything. They're just the ordinary folk. So let's look at what the word clergy means. I'm grabbing this from Miriam Dictionary, clergy. It says it is a group ordained to perform pastoral or sacerdotal functions in a Christian church. Did you get that? That's an ordained group of people. Now you may say, Brother James, why are you laying all this stuff out for us? And I'm telling you the reason why is this. When you become born again and you come into the family of God, you must understand that God has not separated you in class and distinction upon your new birth. Not in the sense of the way that men have done it. Now, he talks about the body of the believers. He talks about the gifts. He talks about the offices. So we do have those. We know we have apostles and the prophets. They were the foundation even before the church came into being. These were things that were already set in motion. Okay? But when you get into men and the way that they do things, they broke up and made a hierarchy system. And they made a hierarchy system primarily to keep control of people. Did you get that? They made a hierarchy system in order to keep control of people. Now, we understand that there must be organization. You are a divine organism. A church should be a living, thriving, divine organism that has organization in it. But it should not be an organization for the fact of just being an organization and ran just like a business without the divine element of God being in the center of that thing. So let's understand that God called you and me to be 
priest. That's what he did. And the, and the Bible is going to fully set this up. So let's turn to another scripture because we're going to lay a little bit more foundation here so we can get a clear understanding. We're going to turn to another scripture. But before we do that, I want to read something here. And I'm going to read uh, something out of a book called The Priesthood by the Recovery. And it talks about the class of priesthood. And it's talking about how you can be a priest and how you become a priest just because you are born again and come into the family of God. Now, I said those things to you so that you can understand that God is not into separating his people from his eyes. He wants everybody to be priests. When you become a believer, you are to serve as a priest. That is what uh, God has intended for us to do. So let me read here. It says, we can no longer tolerate an intermediary class. We can no longer accept a hierarchy. We can no longer allow priests to stand between God and his children. We can no longer accept an intermediary class. We need to see what the church is. The church is the place where every child of God is a priest. We cannot have one person or a few persons monopolizing spiritual service. They cannot be the only ones through whom God speaks or the only ones through whom we approach God to settle spiritual matters. Such an intermediary class cannot exist in the church. Did you get that? Now, I know that's going to rock a lot of people's boats, and a lot of people may get upset because of that. But bear in mind, God did call us to be priests. There can be no church without the universal priesthood. Reading on. In the church today, the priesthood is no longer restricted to only a few people. It has become a universal priesthood. The nation of Israel failed. The church cannot fail again. The nation of Israel failed in that God's people and God's priests became separated. May the Lord have mercy on us. May there be no separation between God's people and his priests in the church today. In the church, God's people are his priests. All the people of God are priests of God. There must be as many priests as there are brothers and sisters. Everyone must come to God to offer up spiritual sacrifices and sacrifices of praise. Everyone should take part in spiritual service. This is not a selective ministry. Everyone should come to God to serve him. A church that comes short of universal and direct access to God is not the church. Did you get that? All right, now, like I said, I know that that may be heavy for some. A lot of people may totally disagree with that. But if you track church history, if you track the beginning of the church, if you go back and go through history books and see how the changes took place, you'll understand that the enemy always creeps in up under the guise of religion. He always comes in upon the guise of religion, and he tries to separate the people of God from what God's original intent and purpose was. And this is why we got to have a full understanding. So what are priests to do? In the New Testament, we're called New Testament priests. This is why there should not be 
people that are sitting on the pews or in chairs that has no active life in the church life. You should not go to church on a Sunday or Wednesday just to sit there docile and silent and not be able to express Christ that God has put in your spirit. Because you have been saved, you've come into the family of God just as well as the pastor or the leadership team has. Now, I can say that plainly and I can say that uh, unequivocally because I've been in both settings. I've served on pastoral teams. I've, I've, I've ministered as a pastoral leader, as a, uh, a teacher, and as an um, expositor. I've served in that capacity. I've served in the capacity of just being uh, in, in the regular congregation. So I make no distinction in that according to me, but I'm talking about you, the believer. I'm talking about you. Where do you stand today? Where is your service with God today? Have you understood that God called you to a place of being a priest? He called you to a place of being in active service unto him? So in the New Testament, we understand that priests ought to serve God and be his full expression. We also know that priests are set apart and consecrated. As we said before, we are the New Testament priest. So let's turn in the book. We're going to go from Old and to New Testament to continue to build the backdrop or continue to paint the picture for you that you are a priest unto God. Let's turn to Isaiah 61, chapter 6. 61, chapter 6. This is what it says. But you shall be named the priest of the Lord. Men shall call you the ministers of our God. Ye shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory shall ye boast yourselves. Now, why did I read Isaiah 61 and 6? Well, the definition that we talked about, about being a, um, a, in laity or being uh, layman, it says that laity, listen, you're the people of a religion, but you are not priests and you're not ministers. Well, that's what the dictionary said. You're not priests and not ministers. So man has made that definition. But in the book of Isaiah 61 and 6, God said, you shall be named the priest of the Lord. Men shall call you the ministers of our God. So he's talking about an entire people that has been consecrated unto him. So you see the difference in that. I hope you're getting that. You got to learn to say what God says and not what man has said. God called you a priest and said you are a minister of, the, of God. That means you are a servant unto God. You serve God. All right, let's get a, a few more scriptures. You don't believe that? We're going to keep on going. All right, let's go to Exodus chapter 19 and 6. Exodus chapter 19 and 6. Can you get there? All right, let's get there. It says, and ye, or you, shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. So here it is again. God is calling out a people. He's calling the people unto himself to be holy unto him. And he says, you're going to be a kingdom of priests. He said that in the Old Testament. So those that say that it's not there or that it's not in the New Testament, let's see. Let's see what the Bible says. The Bible always interprets itself. Now, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2. Are you turning in there? I hope you are. I hope you are traveling with us tonight because we are barbecuing some sacred cows tonight. 
because God is at a place where he is wanting his spirit. He said, I will pour out my spirit upon all of all of my believers. Your sons and daughters going to prophesy. They're going to see visions. Old men going to dream dreams, all of that. God is saying, I'm pouring out my spirit in this day. And so you and I, we've got to be in a place to where we can receive the pouring out of God's spirit. And to be able to start walking in the newness of the life that he has given us. So let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. God called you a priest. A kingdom of priests is what he called you. So 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's go there. All right. Are you there yet? Okay, I'm there. 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's right. First Peter chapter 2. I'm right. Okay. First Peter chapter 2. Let's go there. We're defining this thing, okay? It says, we're going to go ahead and start at 1. It says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. If so, be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So what is that saying, okay? Basically here, he's setting up the premise or the precept for walking into this area of being a priest unto God. That's what he's doing. He's setting it up so we can see how do we get there to where we start operating as priests unto God. Well, the first thing he says, lay aside all malice and guile and hypocrisy and all evil speakings. That right there, ladies and gentlemen, family and friends, is telling us that's called the point of consecration. When we lay aside all those things, we are now becoming consecrated. And then what does it say? It says it's newborn babes. How do you become a newborn babe? You become a newborn babe when you were currently dead unto God. You did not have a regenerated spirit. But when you said, Lord Jesus, I recognize you as my Lord and my Savior. I want to be saved. Come into my life and save me, clean me, redeem me, take my old life away from me, get all of this nasty stuff out of my soul and my mind, and wash me clean. When you make that confession and come into God, then you become a newborn babe. Did you get that? That's what salvation is. It's not just walking down to the altar and repeating a prayer. It's truly putting off the former things that you were involved with the former things that had you bound and coming in your heart and opening up your heart to say, Lord, come into my life, come into my heart, receive me, I receive you, be my Lord and be my Savior. That's what that means. That's true consecration. And that's how you become a newborn babe. You don't go and go through your mother's womb again to be born, but you become born anew in your spirit. Your spirit becomes born anew because Prior to that, your spirit was not active. Your soul is primarily dominant over your life. That means your mind, what you think, your will, what you say you're going to do, and your emotions, how you feel. Those three things dominate the life of a person who has not accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. It dominates them from morning to night. It rules them from morning to night. But when you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, he, as the Holy Spirit, comes into that third part of your being or the true part of your being, which is your spirit. 
and his spirit comes into your human spirit, which now enlivens you and gives you access to the things of God. That's how this thing works. And unless you get a clear understanding and foundational teaching on these things, you will always go through your Christian life befuddled, confused, and not understanding. Did you get that? So that's how you become a new babe. And it says what? Desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. This is telling us you got to get the word of God in your life and you got to desire it. It's just like a baby getting milk. And what is the reason? The reason is so there is growth in you. You should be further along than you were five years ago, ten years ago. But many times the construct of how churches or how ministries or how we do things are set up causes people to be stunted in their growth. And I know they're not doing it by uh, actually doing it because they want to do it. They're doing it because it's the construct of how it's set up. Because if you come into a place week by week, month by month, year by year, and you can never open up your mouth and speak, and you've been born again, then Christ does not have a way of expressing himself. Did you get that? Because brothers and sisters, we feed each other. We, we, we feed one another. We are enlightened by one another. Other people's testimony is what gets us through the things of life. So there must be an atmosphere set up. And the reason primarily that most of this does not happen is because of control and because of money. I'm going to say that again, and I know some people are going to get upset, but that's okay. Many times it's because of control and because of money. Those that know they're doing wrong and they continue to do it or those that uh, have access to these things and don't allow the people of God a place to express themselves. Now, when I say express themselves, I'm not saying express their soul. I'm not ex saying express just what they think in their mind and their opinions. I'm saying a place where they can express Christ. There's a difference. There needs to be an outpouring of the Spirit from the Spirit where people can get free and can be educated in the things of the Spirit. Listen, family and friends out there, I need your testimony. I need the wisdom that God has given you. I need to hear what God is doing in your life. I need to hear the wisdom that God has put in your spirit. So we must be in an atmosphere where there's not just one individual proclaiming and dispensing and running everything out of himself to feed thousands of people. Those thousands of people should be, in turn, being able to feed others. And we should be in settings and atmosphere where Christ is the head and where he can minister throughout the entire group. I was exposed to this nine years ago, and it revolutionized my life and changed my life. And I have not been the same since. And this is why it's hard to go back to what you have, you've been, once you've been exposed to something and you've been stretched and you've seen the reality of what it does in your life, it causes you to not be able to go back to that same thing or there's no satisfaction there. Because when you see Christ amongst a group of brothers and sisters that they are there and everybody is there and they're giving testimony and they're praising God, they're exhorting God, and they're talking about the things that God has done in their spirit, and they're talking about what happened, what God downloaded to them in their spirit through their prayer time, through their time of fast through their time of study, this feeds one another. So this is why it says we got to desire the sincere milk of the word so that you may grow. So God's house is all about us coming together so that we can be assembled as one and that we may grow. So let's get back to the scripture, okay? All right, it says, to whom coming 
as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Talking about Christ Jesus. It's talking about the Lord Jesus. Now here he is, King, in verse 5. It says, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a what? Holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. There it is again. So what is the holy priesthood? The holy priesthood is a spiritual house. That's what the holy priesthood is. It's a spiritual house. Let's read on a little bit. Let's go to verse 9. What does it say here? Same passage. 1 Peter chapter 2, but we're at verse 9. It says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who have called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So here again, as we describe up in the definition of priests, it said that priests were chosen. They were chosen. This was in the Old Testament. It said that they were chosen. They were chosen from a from a uh, Aaron and his sons, and the priesthood came from there. So they were set apart. The Levites were set apart. They were chosen. So here again, it says that you are a chosen priesthood. This is in the New Testament. So we find a parallel between the Old and the New Testament. The Bible always complements itself. The Bible always backs up itself. So it says that you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. It's talking about being chosen. That means you are set apart. God chose you to be in this generation. It says you are a royal priesthood. The royalty talks about your kingdom mentality. If you are of a royal seed, then you don't operate like the rest of the world does. When you are of a royal seed, then you have a different outlook on life. You have different mannerisms about life. So this is what God is displaying to us. Have you ever noticed that when you see on TV and they've got the, the, the palace or those that belong to the royal family, if you look at the royal family, most of the time they behave in a certain way. Many times it's protocols that they follow. It's different things that they do that separates them from common people. And I don't mean common in a negative way. I'm just saying God has given us a backdrop that we're not to be as the world is. Being of royal priesthood means that you have on the character, you take on the nature, the dignity, and all of the vestiges of being a royal descendant of a royal king. So that's what it means, a royal priesthood. God wants you and I to come to him because he made it that way by sending his son, Christ Jesus. Did you get that? All right, so it says here, let's go to one more here. We're going to go to the King James Version. Uh, we've been in it all day, but we're going to Revelation 1 and 6, King James Version. Let's read there. God always speaks through his word, and he interprets what he means. Let's read there, Revelation 1 and 6. That's the last book here in the Bible. All right, Revelation 1 and 6. I'm going to turn there. You turning with me? I hope you are understanding your identification tonight. I hope you are understanding that God has called you into a deeper place 
than just sitting on a pew because you, ladies and gentlemen, family and friends, are a priest. So here we are again. We are in Revelations chapter 1 and 6. And let's back it up a little bit. Let's back it up and go to 4, okay? John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Now, all of that stuff is so deep, we really don't have the time to get into that, but it's incredibly powerful. Verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Here it is. It tells us Jesus washed us from our sins by him becoming sin. He did it in his own blood. All right, verse 6. This is the key point here. And hath made us, that's you and me, kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So you may be asking yourself, well, how did being a priest get back into the hands of men when God has already shown us that we have become priests by being born anew or being born again and then consecrating ourselves to God through Christ? So I'll leave that question out there for many to answer. You can answer that if you can. I don't know how that happened. All I can tell you is that God is intending for you and I to get into a deeper relationship with him. God is intending to let you know that you don't have to go to a confession black box and sit and spill out all of your sins because your sins has already been paid for by Christ. When you go to him with the relationship that you have with him in your heart and truly repent in that, he is the one that does the forgiving because he is the true priest. Christ Jesus is the true high priest. And because of what he did, he gave us a way to where now we have become priests unto God as well. When you are a priest, you speak for God, you handle the things of God. So in the Old Testament, as we said, their hands were always full of things. They always had their hands full, and they was always giving something. They was offering something. So here in these scriptures, it's telling us that we're to offer what? Spiritual sacrifices. So today we're not offering the blood of bulls, goats, rams, and we're not bringing in peace offerings and wave offerings and those things, but God has called us into a place to where we're offering up spiritual sacrifices. And our spiritual sacrifices is where we are being in this class that are called priests. So here we go. We're going back to this book called The Priesthood and Living Stream Ministry. It says the intermediary, intermediary class abolishes when everyone serves. It says we need to abolish the intermediary class. In order for us to abolish this class, we all have to become part of it. When all of us become a part of that class, the hierarchy is gone. How can we make the three groups two groups? How can we turn three-way traffic into two-way traffic? How can these three, God, the priesthood, and the people, become two? There is no other way except to kneel down before the Lord and say, Lord, I am willing to serve you. 
I am willing to be a priest. When all of God's children become his priests, the three parties will be reduced to two. Hierarchy comes from the world, the flesh, idol worship, and the love of the world. If all the brothers deny the world and reject idolatry from the beginning, they will all offer themselves up to God. They will say, from this day forward, I will live on earth for the sole purpose of serving God. Then hierarchy will disappear spontaneously if all the brothers realize that their sole occupation is to serve God. And if all of them will serve God in coordination, an intermediary class will disappear. Now that's very powerful. As we stated before, we know that these class distinctions came into play. They came into play when the Roman Empire endorsed Christianity. A lot of things began to come in at that time. During the time of Caesar, there was a lot of things that came into the house of God where there were the things of Caesar and there were the things of God. Basically, there were the things of the world system and how it was trying to monopolize and control the church or control the believers. And so throughout the ages, you had so many different reformers that stood up and opposed this system. They opposed this way of going forward. They opposed this way of doing things because they knew that people were being monopolized, they were being manipulated, and they were being controlled. So God is in the business of freedom. He's not in the business of control. Did you get that? God is in the business of freedom. He's not in the business of control. God does not even take control over his own creation. Why? He gave us free will of choice. That's because God wants us to choose him. So today, ladies and gentlemen, I pray that you get a deeper understanding of what it means for you to be a priest. You are separated unto God for his service. Now, to be a priest of God means that you cannot do the normal things that the common folk do. It means that you are separated, and this separation happens in your spirit. It's not so much as things that happen on the outside as things that happen in the inside. You're consecrated anew. Things become cut off of you. You begin to walk in the light of life. You begin to walk in the things of God. You begin to desire the things of God more than you ever have in your life. And I pray that this is the reality because now we got a lot of people that are coming up. We got generations that are coming up behind us and they got a hunger for the things of God. They are thirsting for the things of Christ. But we got to give them an atmosphere where they can access God. Now we know that there must be organization as we talked about before. We're not browbeating that. We're not browbeating that you got to set up things and it's got to be decency in order. It must be decency in order with everything that we do. God sets it up that way. But God is wanting to take control now in the place of you asking him to have control. He's not going to take it, but he's going to see if you want him to come in and take it. If you do that, then you'll see more freedom than you've ever seen before. If we allow the people of God to really get taught properly when they begin their walk of salvation, you would see the kingdom of God come in a most powerful and magnificent way. If people that are visiting churches every Wednesday, every Sunday, and every other occasional day, if they begin to understand the dynamics of what God is speaking when he called them to be a priest, when they became born again, it would totally change their concept and the way they think about doing ministry, the way they think about doing church, the way they think about living their life. 
Because God is more interested in having a day-to-day walk with you than a weekly, occasional gathering with you. Did you get that? God is more interested in having a day-to-day walk with you and me than an occasional, weekly gathering with many other people. Because the truth of the matter is, is that even though many will go on a weekly basis, God still doesn't have them. Though many people will attend a church service on a Wednesday or on a Sunday, God still doesn't have them. And they'll do that religiously through their life. 30, 40, 50 years, I go to church. And you say something about God, and the first thing they say is, I go to church. Well, I know you go to church, but is the church going to you? Is the church in you? You see, there's a vast difference in that. And we've got to begin to teach people from the ground level how they can access God and what God is requiring of them and of the freedom that they have in Christ and take our paws off of them and let them grow up in the things of God. Because truly, those that are teachers, I'm talking to all of the teachers, all of the leaders, all of those who stand up and proclaim the gospel, and myself included because I'm on this broadcast, know that we're going to be held more accountable. We're going to be held more accountable, and the Bible alludes to that, and actually it states that specifically, that we're going to be held more accountable. So we need to make sure that we are bathing things in prayer before God and that we can allow God to wreck our theology. I'm saying, Lord, wreck my theology on a day-to-day basis. Don't let me get comfortable in a mindset or in a set of ideals to where you can't break through. And that's where many people are. They have been so educated in the things that they think is right that when something comes to them and it's God speaking, but he's speaking to them in a form that they are not accustomed to, they immediately denounce it and they say that it doesn't fit within the framework of their belief system. So we have given to you what the Bible says. I pray that you have been enlightened tonight. Take this and pray over it. Continue to listen to it. Let it maul over in your spirit. My name is James Fox, and we are done for tonight. We'll see you again next week on The Defender. We are on every Wednesday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time, 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and 7 o'clock p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Thanks again for coming and joining us. Have yourself a great night. God bless. The Defender is an online radio broadcast geared toward teaching the Word of God. Our aim is to present the scriptures of the Bible in an informative, systematic process that exalts the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We strive for the inner and accurate interpretation of the scriptures by revelation from the Holy Spirit. We are established to give His counsel as pertains to what He has revealed in His Word. Tune in next time for The Defender. The Defender is copyright by James Fox Ministries and the Resilient Christian Radio Network.